Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine and sponsored by Steer. Broadcasting today from Agreco Studios. Agreco, powering the Permian. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We will be joined by Sean Strawbridge, who is the CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi. But first, let me tell you about the latest issue of Shale Magazine. Another great issue and another great cover. You will never guess who we were able to catch up with and discuss a little bit about the Permian Basin area. There's an area out there called Alpine High, and we were able to get an exclusive story from Steve Keenan with Apache Corporation, who was the main, main person behind discovering Alpine High uh, in the Permian Basin area and uh, New Mexico area. So if you're interested in in that, this is a story that you don't want to miss. Uh, and if you're interested in reading the latest issue of Shell Magazine, please go to shellmag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com to read all about Steve Keenan, the main person behind Alpine High. And now it's time to bring on the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in Texas. It sure is. You know, every day you wake up is a beautiful day. Exactly. <laughs> um well, let's just jump right in because there's a lot of exciting things happening. Uh, one of the biggest uh, stories uh, as of lately is the ExxonMobil Reserve filing. The The company reported its reserves rose by 23% during 2018 alone. Um, and with so much coming, and most of it is coming from the shell operations. So I guess uh, what I want to talk about is how extraordinary um, is this uh, it, to increase that much in one year? Well, it's it's amazing, frankly. Uh, yeah, it's their Permian Basin operations, which you know we we uh, had a big report on our cover story was about uh, in the what was that the uh, November December no January February issue of Shell Magazine. Uh, we interviewed Sarah Ortwine, and she talked about uh, the incredible results they're having out in the Permian Basin, and then they've also you know Exxon is a global producer and. They've had a couple of big finds over the last year uh, offshore Guyana, uh, off the west coast of Africa, and that's been a big part of it as well. And it's just, you know, it's just one more proof point that U.S. shale is a big deal and is not some flash in the pan like you see so many opponents of oil and gas talking about. Uh, I mean, this is a company, it's a global company, the most sophisticated company in the business, and the Permian Basin and its U.S. shell operation is one of its two main focal points of its entire business. Uh, so, you know, shell's, shell's here to stay, and it's going to keep growing uh, over the next 20, 30 years. So everybody better buckle up. Buckle up, Buttercups. Buckle up for safety, yes. That's why we have Shell Magazine, to tell everybody what's going on. Switching gears just a little bit, um, the other reason Exxon's reserves rose so much came from its offshore operations as well, and it seemed to have come from the Gulf of Mexico, and that also seems to be making a very big 
comeback. Um, tell me a little bit about why you think that's happening, David. Yeah, uh, not just Exxon, but uh, BP, Shell, Anadarko, Petroleum, a lot of independent producers out there in the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, over the last year, year and a half, it, it, the Gulf has been really having a, a pretty dramatic uh, comeback in terms of overall production and new reserves findings uh, out there in the deep waters in particular. But also on the shelf, you have a lot of independent producers uh, buying up old reserves from bigger companies and going out and reworking wells and increasing production on the, on the, uh, in the shallow waters of the Gulf. Um, and, and that's a great thing, um, you know, for the United States, the, the Gulf of Mexico, the most recent productions is it's producing about 2 million barrels a day, which it had gotten down to about 1.3, 1.4 million a day. So that's a pretty significant comeback in overall production. And it's, you know, it's, that's one sixth of, of all the oil produced in the United States. So it's a big part of our energy picture and it's, it's good to see it getting healthy again. Cause it, you know, after the Macondo incident back in uh, 2011, things really uh, fell off in the Gulf and uh, it, it had a lot of hard times after that. So it's good to see it all making a comeback now. Very interesting. This week also the Senate finance committee, approved a bill that would provide $5,000 per year raise for our state uh, public school teachers, which is amazing because there's never enough money that we can pay our teachers who educate our children. But I think it's important for, for us to really break down and understand, you know, it is the oil and gas industry that's making these increases possible. And in a time where most people are moving towards green and uh, they're anti-oil and gas in some ways, um, hopefully this will set the story straight that if uh, we, we really need to invest in our teachers and our education and oil and gas is making this possible. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Well, you know, it's so important in Texas. Uh, the, the oil industry drives our entire economy uh, because, you know, people look at the oil industry and see, well, it provides somewhere seven, 800,000 direct jobs in the state of Texas, uh, and it's a big state, but that's just the direct employment by the industry itself. Doesn't include all the hundreds of thousands of, of other jobs in the service industries that directly serve the oil and gas industry, and then all the jobs that are created in in the local communities, uh, you know, because you have all these oil field workers, all the activity going on, supporting all the local restaurants and grocery stores and hotels and motels and on and on and on. Uh, and so it just reverberates out through the whole economy. Uh, it contributes about $14 billion a year to the Texas state government, uh, according to this new report that uh, the Texas Oil and Gas Association put out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and it funds our state's rainy day fund that has a $12 billion balance in it. Um, you know, all that combines to, you know, it's a very happy, lucky circumstance this year. The legislature convened in January and, and it had about a $5 billion budget surplus to work with. And so it has enough money to work with now that it feels like it can give a fairly significant raise to school teachers. And, and you know, that's a really good use of that money. So I'm glad to see it happening. It's been a while since uh, school teachers in Texas did get a raise from, from the state portion of their salary structure. And, and uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, none of it's possible without the oil and gas industry booming like it is in the state of Texas. You know, uh, in my other job before I um, started uh, working in oil and gas, I was uh, in social services. 
And, and I tell this story a lot because it really did help me fall into oil and gas and have a great appreciation for, especially here in Texas, how all of these things come together. So uh, in a, basically in a nutshell, when Texas is not doing well uh, financially, it is always coming back to usually it's there's a problem in the oil and gas sector. And um, so if we that year that we had a problem was the state comptroller's office had miscalculated the amount of revenue that we were going to receive, which does happen, uh, no one's fault, uh, but it really put Texas in a bind. And uh, I saw a lot of uh, budget cuts happen across the state. And you don't think about those things until you're actually going through them, how it affects the elderly, the mentally ill, the teachers, law enforcement, EMS, fire. They all are connected into this rainy day fund. Uh, Or if the states should fall short, they go to this rainy day fund. That's what it's there for. Um, So oil and gas is vital in this state, in my opinion. And it really, truly is the, the single most important thing that we have to continue and make sure that our state... Um, continues to invest in its um, um, workforce and its uh, teachers and of course in just continuing to drive the state forward. So I'm glad you brought this up. Um, I'm glad that the legislators saw their way to give our our wonderful teachers an increase but let's also thank the oil and gas industry because without them this wouldn't have been possible. Yeah and it's you know it's only gotten through the Senate so far it still has to go through the House of Representatives I think there's a real good chance that it'll make it, and then the governor needs to sign it into law. But uh, right now, it, it's all looking pretty positive for the state's school teachers. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't want to give our teachers a, a pay raise? So I think you're probably <laughs> right. Well, David, that is all the time we have this week. Look forward to having you back next week, which I'm sure we'll be talking more energy and politics. I'll look forward to it. Thank you. And with that, we do have to take a quick break. But when we return, we will be joined by Sean Strawbridge, the CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. In the Oil Patch Radio Show is proud to bring you this week's Energy Minute, produced by shalemag.com. Here's Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your current industry update. This is Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your Energy Minute and your oil and gas statistics for last week, ending February 22nd. The United States had 1,047 drilling rigs running at the end of last week, a decrease of two from the prior week. Texas lost one rig to end last week at 508. The Texas Railroad Commission issued 207 drilling permits last week to bring the 10-week rolling average to 277. Natural gas prices gained $0.07 cents to average $2.68 per mm BTU last week. West Texas Intermediate crude prices gained $2.82 to average $56.81 a barrel last week. And gasoline prices across Texas gained $0.09 cents to average Average last week at $2.14 a gallon. This is Ryan Sitton, and that's your Energy Minute. Listen to In the Oil Patch Radio and keep up with the oil and gas industry online at shalemag.com. Hi, this is Kim Bellotto, host of In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Do you have questions on global warming? How about seismicity, air quality, water issues? What's OPEC? What's OPEC Plus? Oil prices and gas prices? You probably have a bunch of questions and now there is a place for you to go and ask your questions and get answers starting every second Saturday of the month at 2 p.m. We will have a live call-in show in which 
John Tatera, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, will be joining me in studio to answer all your questions. So be sure to take advantage of getting your most important oil and gas questions answered live and join us on the show. The call-in live line is 210-526-3656. Again, the call-in live number is 210-526-3656. Be sure to call in at 2 p.m. If you want more information on how to call in live or the phone number again, be sure to email us at radio at shalemag.com. That's radio at s-h-a-l-e-m-a-g.com. Or just go to our Facebook page in the Oil Patch Radio Show. You'll find the information there as well. Would love to talk to you every second Saturday at 2 p.m. So be sure to call in. I'd love to get your questions answered. So be sure to call in at area code 210-526-3656. We're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Sean Strawbridge, CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi. And Sean, before I uh, bring you on, I, I just wanted to give you a proper introduction of uh, what you are basically the CEO of. The Port of Corpus Christi is the fourth largest port in the United States for total tonnage. It's a huge economic driver for the uh, South Texas and, of course, in the coastal Bend area. And you're fairly new in this role. So welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Uh, let's start with, tell us a little bit about your role and uh, what you're doing there at the port uh, in your new role as CEO. Well, thanks, Kim. Uh, glad to be back on the show. Uh, my role as a chief executive officer of the Port of Corpus Christi is, is really to uh, focus my attentions in three areas. One is how we spend our money, uh, where we place our, our capital. Uh, because these are public funds, and it's important that we are doing, uh, we're investing our capital in the gateway in a responsible and sustainable way. Uh, Two, uh, like any CEO, it's about ensuring that we've got uh, the right talent and organizational alignment and culture uh, for the organization, uh, the culture uh, that we are uh, really developing there at the Port of Corpus Christi with our staff is uh, a results-oriented uh, culture. Uh, we've got a set of core values. Uh, we call them our Seaport values. Seaport is an acronym uh, for safety, empowerment, accountability, uh, preparedness, optimism, uh, respect, and teamwork. And uh, while simple as those sound, uh, we, we really need to be guided by those, uh, those core principles uh, when we're executing. And execution is, of course, the third area that I focus uh, a lot of our attention on. We, we can have great plans, uh, but we've got to make sure that we're executing as flawlessly as possible. So as the CEO, I, I have the, the good fortune of being able to tell our story. Uh, and we've got a wonderful staff that works hard every day to ensure that we're bringing value to our customers and certainly to the gateway. Now, you're a little modest in this area, too, because you weren't the CEO. You started in another uh, capacity, and the port had not seen leadership change in, what, 20 years. And they kind of made this role for you. You had some past experience. So I want to just go back just a little bit to help uh, our listeners understand uh, your journey to get to the CEO, because you've made, and we're going to talk about it a little bit later in the show, the great uh, impact that you, your leadership and your team have made, your dream team. 
But let's go back a little bit. You started um, a couple of years back. It didn't take you very long to rise to the top. Yeah, I came in as the uh, deputy uh, executive director and the chief operating officer in July of 2015. Uh, there was a nationwide search that was conducted. The current, uh, the, the previous CEO or executive director, uh, John LaRue, had been there. Uh, actually, he's still there in an advisory role, but he had been in his role about 20 plus years at that time, and he, he certainly was thinking about uh, the next phase of his life, uh, retirement. Uh, we all... Uh, nice we, thing to have once in a while. Certainly. We all, we all uh, acquiesce to father time at, at some point, and uh, I think John certainly deserves to, uh, uh, to move on to a, a more relaxing phase of his life. But uh, he, over the last uh, three and a half years that I've been there, he has uh, continued to be there as a, uh, uh, a great resource for me to lean upon and to uh, seek guidance from as we uh, experience this epic growth. But the, the, the board, the port uh, commission that I serve at the pleasure of, saw a need for a succession plan. Uh, they hired me, uh, and in January of 2018, they elevated me to the chief executive officer uh, role. Uh, and uh, since that time, uh, I've really been focused on, as you say, placing uh, the right people in the right positions and I think we have set the table quite well with a wonderful team of business executives, uh, a great uh, mix of women and men who come from uh, industry. These are not government uh, bureaucrats, these are not people with a lot of public administration experience. And the reason for that is while the port is a public agency, we're an independent political district of the state of Texas, we, and we have tax authority as does the other 18 public port authorities in the state of Texas. We are the only port authority in the state of Texas that's never exercised our tax authority. What we, where we derive our revenues from is from the services, the fees we charge for the services we provide or the land that we lease to our customers. And by having a business-oriented focus of how we uh, generate our revenues and certainly being mindful of then where we place our, our capital that we earn from our customers, uh, I think that's a, a great model for other enterprise funds, government enterprise funds, uh, to emulate. In our particular case, we do a lot of public-private partnerships. We place public funds, our funds, right alongside our customers, building infrastructure, right. building facilities that then we lease to them under long-term lease agreements. And we really focus on investing more in the gateway. I was just in Dallas yesterday. I speak to a lot of uh, institutional investors, uh, hedge funds, private equity uh, funds, and certainly pension funds. Uh, and it's important that we continue to evangelize the virtues of the Port of Corpus Christi and the South Texas Coastal Bend Gateway for the energy markets. Because really, our goal is to ensure that we are a competitive gateway, we're a cost-effective gateway, certainly a safe gateway for America's energy now that we are the largest energy producer in the world and certainly uh, on track to be the largest exporter of energy in the world. And Sean, with that, we do have to take a quick break. But when we return, I want to talk about uh, the funding that the U.S. Army of Corps of Engineers awarded the port as well as uh, the construction contract. Uh, you are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back.
Agreco has been powering the Permian Basin for over 10 years, supporting Permian producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. Agreco supports power systems as small as a single 200 kilowatt to as large as a 50 megawatt power plant. So when your utility power is delayed, call on Agreco to engineer a diesel, natural gas, or battery solution to fit your needs. We have immediate availability right here in the Permian Basin. Call 1-800-AGRECO or online agreco.com. Plan your next meeting or event at Victoria College's Emerging Technology Complex, home to the state-of-the-art conference and education center, conveniently located between Houston and Corpus Christi. The center hosts meetings, educational workshops, and banquets for up to 300 people with the latest in technology amenities and ample parking. Let their professional meeting planners make your next event a success. For more information, go to conferenceinvictoria.com. Once again, that's conferenceinvictoria.com. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. We're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Sean Strawbridge, the CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi. Uh, Before we uh, bring you back, Sean, I want to take a a minute to listen to President Trump recognizing the Port of Corpus Christi. If we can hear that soundbite now. In Texas, they can't get the big ships in because they need to dredge a couple of feet. Whatever you can do for the great state of Texas, This way they can bring the giant ships right in, fill them up, and they go out. And it'll be a tremendous difference. It will sell a lot more oil. We have now become the number one uh, energy source in the world. Can you believe it? In the last little while. If you could do that, Andrew, okay? Thank you. He'll get it done. He's truly bought into how important the Port of Corpus Christi will be for our energy needs. Um, and you guys have hit some major accomplishments. So let's talk about that. Tell me where you guys are at. Yeah, uh, absolutely. President Trump certainly uh, is aware of our uh, the importance of exporting America's energy. I think he mentioned that in his State of the Union address uh, uh, some weeks back. Uh, certainly uh, our congressman, Congressman Michael Cloud, was able to impress upon him the importance of the deepening and widening of the Corpus Christi Ship Channel. Uh, to be able to handle the larger ships carrying more of America's energy, certainly Texas energy. Uh, And so when you look at this administration's agenda, which is uh, certainly balance of trade, uh, infrastructure, and uh, And energy. energy is right up there. And energy uh, independence, uh, uh, I think we check all of those boxes. So the Corpus Christi Ship Channel Improvement Project, which is a federal project, 
uh, we are finally seeing the uh, end of the, 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 the light, if you will. We're, we're seeing the light after 29 years of bureaucratic hurdles and congressional authorizations and reauthorizations. We actually will have dredgers in the water uh, in the next month. Uh, to begin the first contract, there are four contracts to improve 29 miles of Corpus Christi ship channel to take us to a depth of 54, minus 54 feet, mean low or low water. Uh, and that will allow about $40 billion more of export goods value. That's at $55 crude, about $28 billion of that $40 billion estimate is crude oil, and the rest is LNG and, and LPGs and NGLs and, and, and other liquids. But uh, crude is certainly a, a big chunk of that. And if you've been following the discussions with China on trade and uh, our U.S. negotiators working with China on having them buy more American energy products, certainly crude and LNG are front and center for that. And if crude and LNG are front and center, then the Port of Corpus Christi is right at the apex or the tip of the spear of that uh, trade deal. And, and we're very excited about that, but we've got to make sure we've got all the infrastructure in place to be able to handle those increased exports to our trading partners like China and certainly to our NATO allies and, and others. So the fact that President Trump has taken a personal interest in our project is very gratifying for us. Uh, we've got to make sure that we are uh, impressing upon the Army Corps of Engineers, which is the, uh, the federal agency that's responsible for executing on that project, to execute in an appropriate time frame. We're certainly impressing upon Congress and the appropriators and the Office of Management and Budget, which is the, the federal agency that, that holds the purse strings, if you will, uh, to these federal dollars, that it is important to continue to fund these projects because these projects are not going to get che they're not going to be cheaper. Uh, and so the more we can front load the funding of them, the more we're going to be able to execute faster and we're going to be able to realize a, a bigger return on those investments by being able to export more American products. Interesting. When we return, I want to get on to another topic, which is Trafigera. You're listening to End the Old Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Remember this name, Oil Field Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Oilfield Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oilfield parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oilfield Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923, and visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. Hi, this is Kim Bilotto, host of In the Oil Patch Radio Show, starting every second Saturday of the month at 2 p.m. We will have a live call-in show in which John Tatera, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, will be joining me in studio to answer all your questions. The call-in live line is 210-526-3656. Again, the call-in live number is 210-526-3656. Be sure to call in at 2 p.m. If you want more information on how to call in live or the phone number again, be sure to email us at radio at shalemag.com. That's radio at s-h-a-l-e-m-a-g.com. Or just go to our Facebook page in the Oil Patch Radio Show. You'll find the information there as well. 
We're back. Our guest today is Sean Strawbridge, the CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi. Well, Sean, I, I, it always seems as though when people hear about an energy port, they're always thinking that it is the Port of Houston, the Houston Ship Channel. What is making the Port of Corpus Christi so unique pertaining to our energy? Ports are uh, waypoints in goods movement. Uh, whatever the commodity is, you think about ports as a a, a, a midpoint. So that's not an origin, it's not a destination in the supply chain of any goods movement, right? And, right. and, and Houston's no different, Corpus is no different. The, the thing with Houston, Houston is certainly an energy port, but the port of Houston, uh, and it's an omniport, as are we, an omniport meaning we handle many different commodities. We handle agriculture products, we handle, handle energy products, we handle military cargoes, mm-hmm. we handle dry bulk materials, we handle a lot of different types of commodities. But our largest single uh, industrial segment is certainly the oil and gas sector. Houston is focused on containers. A lot of jobs are created around containers. When you think about trucking companies and packing companies and freight forwarding companies and railroads, there's a lot that goes into containers. And that's where the Port of Houston has focused its attentions for decades and will likely be continuing to do that. I think over 70% of the port's revenues and certainly a lot of the jobs in and around the Houston Ship Channel are tied to its container activity. Houston is congested, certainly, as it's seen a lot of success. If you were a energy trader and certainly a crude trader, you wanted your barrel in Houston because of the liquidity of the Houston market. You've got two and a half million uh, barrels a day of refining capacity. You've got the petrochemical uh, sector, uh, and then you've got an ability to put those uh, barrels on the water as well. So, if you're a crude trader, you and you want to lighten your position, uh, Houston was traditionally where you wanted to have your barrel. Corpus didn't traditionally have the same liquidity that Houston had. However, we are growing our liquidity because if you think of Houston as having a, being a destination, Houston is a destination, okay? Cor- yes. Corpus is a gateway to the world liquidity market. So you think about the global demand for oil, the global demand for gas. That's what Corpus Christi represents. So as you see more traders, as we build out the gateway and you see more volume coming to Corpus Christi, the traders are starting to recognize that the commodities traders are starting to recognize that having the liquidity of the global markets and having the fluidity of a, of a gateway like the Port of Corpus Christi is really attractive for them. Today, we don't command a premium over Houston on our barrels, uh, but we think that's going to change over the next decade. We think that ultimately Houston, uh, Corpus will be able to uh, command a premium over Houston uh, if you want to place a barrel in, uh, in Corpus for exports. Interesting. Sean, I want to switch gears and talk about a pending project that has been put out there to the community. Uh, There's been a lot of discussion. uh, There's been a lot of of people for and against a project that's called Trafigura. Well, Kim, Trafigura is a large global commodities trading house based in Switzerland. And they are a a customer of the Port of Corpus Christi today. They're our largest uh, LPG customer. And they're a good customer. Uh, but Trafigura has proposed an offshore buoy uh, outside of the port of Corpus Christi and outside of state waters uh, to create a capability to handle the very large crude carriers. Uh, a VLCC uh, handles 2 million barrels. It can carry 2 million barrels of, of, of TI spec uh, crude oil. 
it will draw about 75 feet of water. We don't have 75 feet of draft today at the Port of Corpus Christi. The Corpus Christi Ship Channel Improvement Project will give us 54 feet of water. So there's still another 20 feet that we would need to dredge to be able to handle, to fully load a VLCC. Trafigura saw that and decided that they wanted to circumvent the port and create their own buoy. What is uh, concerning for us about that particular project, there's, there's really a couple of concerns. One is the they're using a federal statute that is very arcane. It was enacted in 1974 before our modern environmental laws and regulations were put into place. And I give them uh, an A for, for creativity there. It's, it's called the Deepwater Port Act. That was enacted in 1974 at another time for another reason. It was really in the wake of the uh, Arab oil embargo. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's only been one facility that was built uh, using that process. That was Loop, the Louisiana Offshore Oil Platform. Trafigura is looking to get a deep water port license and build a buoy, which is essentially a floating inner tube, if you will, about 13 miles off the Laguna Madre uh, National Seashore, South Texas National Seashore there, where they would uh, run a pipeline on the, on, the, on the seabed and load VLCCs, fully uh, laden VLCCs, out 13 miles offshore. The reason why we have concerns about that is, one, their application that they submitted to the uh, Department of Transportation, U.S. Department of Transportation is the licensing agency, we felt was incomplete. We felt it had a lot of, it left a lot of questions and we wanted those questions at, answered. Two, uh, we don't like the location because we are in air attainment, and if you've been in South Texas, as, as I know you uh, spent a lot of your time there growing up, we get some pretty heavy winds. And the winds come primarily, they're southeasterly winds that will blow those volatile organic compounds that they'll be releasing when they're loading those vessels back into our airshed and potentially negatively impact our airshed, which is not fair to all of our existing customers who are following TCEQ regulations and doing all the right things in terms of capturing and sequestering vapors and combusting vapors. We, we really want to make sure that we're protecting our airshed. And then three, uh, from an economic standpoint, certainly if we're going to circumvent our ports in Texas, then what's the real need for port authorities? Port authorities are not regulatory agencies. What we are is we're economic development uh, agencies, but we do provide a buffer, if you will, between uh, state and federal regulators and our customers. And what we like to do is we like to act as an intermediary, if you will, but we also can provide some services as, as well. By not providing that oversight and not providing those services to, our, to, to Trafigura, it gives us some concern about their safety record, which they have a, they've got some other issues globally uh, that are well documented, and I won't go into those. But, but certainly, we think that it's a better model to work with the port uh, than, than to circumvent the port. And we're not alone. There are other ports in the, in the state that are concerned. We're not against buoys. I want to be very clear. We're not against the offshore buoy concept, but we certainly are against that one for all the aforementioned reasons that I just uh, spoke of. In my opinion, there's more of an environmental 
problem, that we don't have enough answers on how we're, they're going to handle these things, uh, that give me great concern uh, and, and opposition to, to having it approved the way it is currently. Uh, Sean, when we return, I want to uh, get into what is the future of the port, where can we, what, are there any looming problems that you see, but we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. Visit our website, shalemagmag.com, to learn more. We're back. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Sean Strawbridge, the CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi. Sean, we've talked a lot about the successes of the port um, and how it seems as though uh, you guys are really in the sweet spot right now. There's a lot of great things happening, a lot of job growth, a lot of activity. But there also is, with anything good, there could be something bad looming and uh, infrastructure, uh, the community. What are some of the big issues that you see that the port will be dealing with and, and you will be dealing with here in the near future? What is it that the port needs to be watching out for? Well, it's an excellent question, Kim. We at the Port of Corpus Christi take great pride in being responsible stewards of the gateway. What that means is Uh, We're the local partner to the federal government for the maintenance and the construction of the Corpus Christi Ship Channel. Uh, We work with our customers to ensure they've got the proper facilities. But we also work with uh, the different community sectors as well. And when you asked me at the beginning of of the show about what I spend my time on, I talked about capital placement. I really focus my attentions on ensuring that we are spending our money in four distinct buckets. The first and foremost is, of course, making sure we've got good infrastructure, making sure that we've got docks, uh, we've got roads, we've got rail. We certainly have an improved channel. But we also spend our money in three other buckets, and one is the environmental bucket. So we have done more. There is no single agency that's done more in terms of shoreline restoration work, uh, habitat preservation, uh, beneficial use creation uh, sites, environmental mitigation offsets uh, for our our customers. No single agency has done more than the Port of Corpus Christi, and we've spent millions, tens of millions of dollars uh, in that area there. Uh, you know, we want clean air, clean water, clean soils and sediments. Uh, we want uh, good habitat for our hunters and our, our fishing. Our you fishing. guys have an amazing track record. We've, we've got a fantastic it. track record. In fact, the governor and the TCQ just recognized the Port of Corpus Christi this past year uh, with the uh, Environmental Excellence Award uh, for uh, pollution right. prevention. That's right. So we're, we're pretty proud of, uh, of the work that we do, and, and our, our uh, environmental programs are uh, overseen by a wonderful lady, uh, Sarah Garza. She's our director of environmental planning and compliance. And so the community really, we want the surrounding community to be satisfied that we are good stewards. Right. Uh, you know, we're not, we're not unlike private industry, we're not going to go bankrupt, we're not going to move away, we're not going to relocate our headquarters, and, and we're not um, going to get bought out. So we've been there 93 years, we're certainly going to be there uh, for at least another 93 years, and we're going to continue to spend our money in that area. The other two buckets are, of course, education and workforce development because we've got to invest in tomorrow's leaders today. And as we see this epic growth, we need 
to make sure that we've got good uh, human resource, human capital there to be able to, uh, if we're creating these these job creating uh, projects, we've got to make sure that we've got the jobs, uh, the people there to, to fill those jobs. And we've got some great educational institutions with A&M, Corpus Christi, certainly Del Mar College, the University of Texas Marine Science Institute. And we want to make sure that we're continuing to invest in academia and keep tomorrow's leaders and those bright young minds in South Texas Coastal Bend. And then the last area is in good corporate citizenry, giving back to the community. We supported over 130 local and regional charities last year with both uh, uh, money, contributions, and volunteership. And, and so we're very excited about how the port really interacts with the community. What we've got to do a better job of is making sure that the community is fully informed on what it is that we're doing. If we're going to do a development, for example, on Harbor Island that's going to have a fully capable VLCC facility, those people need to understand in Port Aransas that we're going to be doing it in the most responsible and sustainable way. There is only one VLCC, fully capable VLCC onshore facility in the country today, and that's in Long Beach, California. The least friendly state to the oil and gas industry. If you can have a uh, VLCC capable facility in Long Beach, California, we certainly can do it in Port Aransas. But we're going to benchmark all of the latest environmental sustainability, all the latest security uh, and safety uh, protocols and processes. And we are going to ensure that the success that we derive from that type of a, of a development is going to be seen in and around that community there. And it truly is a better model than pushing it offshore. There is a small but vocal opposition, and it's primarily the not-in-my-backyard uh, uh, constituency. I get that. I get that people don't want to see industry in their backyard. The difficult thing for us is it's a federal channel. It's been a, a federal ship channel for 93 years. It's important for people to understand when they move to a location, if they're moving next to a federal ship channel, you can expect to have vessel traffic. This we have true. VLCCs calling uh, every week. They go right by Port Aransas. They go to Ingleside. I've seen them. There hasn't been any any uh, right. any. Uh, complaints about those vessels uh, we've been loading them since uh, last year uh, our friends at Moda midstream there at uh, the ingleside energy center are doing a wonderful job uh, with their vlcc capable uh, facility there and so you know we're already demonstrating that we're able to do it in a responsible sustainable way and you know the old adage right the rising tide will float all boats we're really excited about the economic vitality and prosperity that it's going to bring to the region but Without the port being front and center and having and bringing that oversight, it's going to be much more difficult in the absence of, of that port oversight. It's going to be much more difficult to be able to influence some of those responsible, sustainable uh, measures that we like to take. And certainly being able to share in some of that uh, prosperity with the community. You know, Sean, we want good leadership and we want people who really are mindful and educated and experienced in this area. And I think we have that team now. So hopefully the, the community gets it. Well, we certainly we have the team at the staff level at the port. I'm very excited about the new team members, folks like uh, Omar Garcia, our chief external affairs officer and and Clark Robertson, our chief operating officer and uh, Kent Britton, our uh, director of finance. And, and he will one day be our chief financial officer and, and 
Jeff Pollock, our director of planning. We've we've put a great team together. The dream team. <laughs> it is it is truly the dream team. The challenge is going to be, you know, you, you look at the elected officials in the area there. It, it's been a very provincial, closed community for a long time. And I would just say that I, I would hope that the elected officials could work a little better together. I've seen some divisiveness there. That's certainly above my pay grade. But as somebody who is still a relative newcomer and, a, and an outsider, I think it's important for them to understand that as the fourth largest port in the nation in tonnage being right there that is truly a blessing that is truly a uh, an asset of regional value and if we can instead of creating discord if we can all work together to enhance that i think it's just going to be better for everybody it's certainly going to attract more investment into the region and by having the port there we're going to ensure that that investment those investments are done in a calibrated responsible sustainable way and we're going to hold our customers accountable for example when exxon came in we said you have to do what you say you're going to do and we the port are going to hold you accountable at the end of the day exxon agreed to that um, i have no doubt that exxon is going to deliver uh, a, a stellar plant uh, with the highest degree of safety and environmental quality. And they are going to really be a good benchmark for the rest of the investment community uh, to come in when they come in. We're going to be pointing to that particular project and say that's the way that you want to do things. Very good. Sean, thank you for coming in today. We look forward to catching up with you again. Probably in about six months you can give us an update on what's happening out there with the dredging. My pleasure. Thank you, Kim. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.